Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 491 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm the CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre and your host. We talk about all things to do with the world of writing, publishing, and how to succeed as an author or writer. So what have you been up to this week? There is so much happening in the world of writing. One thing you might be interested in is our new series of seminars at the Australian Writers' Centre. These are just one session packed with practical information where we focus on one specific area. Now, the next one is on Tuesday, the 26th of July at 6.30pm Sydney, Melbourne time on Zoom. And this is one that is all about developing characters that can carry an entire story. It's run by the wonderful Pamela Hart, also known as Pamela Freeman, who you're about to hear from this week. Now, to be clear, as I said, the focus is on one particular area. Now, you're not going to learn everything you need to know to be a best-selling novelist in one evening. But if you want to learn specifically about how to develop the kind of characters you need to carry an entire story, then this seminar is for you. Also in the writing world, I love the news that author Kelly Rimmer, her latest novel is The German Wife, and we interviewed her on episode 487. Uh, She's the one who lives in the central west of New South Wales, has sold over 2 million copies, is a New York Times bestseller. Now, the latest news about Kelly is she is truly supporting the reading and book-loving community because in her area, her part of New South Wales, she recently bought the Collins Bookshop in Orange. So go, Kelly. I love seeing authors support the industry and really making a difference to keep books accessible to communities. Also, a big shout out to our wonderful Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate. Many listeners will know that Al's latest middle grade series is the wonderful Maven and Reeve series. Now, there have been two books so far, The Firestar and The Wolf's Howl, and these are now available in the US. I know that a lot of listeners come to us from all over the world with a big listenership from the US. So big hello to all of you guys over there. So now you can access Al's books very easily, which is fantastic because she's one of my favorite authors. I'll put the link in the show notes where you can get them very easily online and not have to wait for them to come from Australia. Also, this week I read about an author who has completely rewritten his book 20 years after it was originally published. Indian-American author Akhil Sharma published his novel An Obedient Father in the year 2000 and it won a bunch of prestigious awards and was a New York Times notable book of the year. But In spite of its critical success, Akhil thought it was flawed, and so he has rewritten it and published a new version. Personally, I think that's, well, a lot. (laughs) I mean, I'm all for writing a lot of drafts, you know, making the story the best it can be through multiple rewrites and structural edits, but at some point you do have to move on, especially, like in this case, if it has been published. I asked Australian author Angela Slater what she thought about it and she agreed 
that it's probably not the best use of a writer's time. She said it was like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic, when you could be writing a new book. It's different if you've got a bunch of published blog posts or articles or short stories and you want to turn them into a book, perhaps, because in that case, you need to find the common thread that weaves everything together. And so you'll absolutely need to rewrite the stories so that they fit the overall theme. But rewriting a published book? I don't know. So I guess this week's tip is that although drafting and rewriting are very important, you do have to know when to move on, when your book is the very best it can be. And who knows, in 20 years' time, you might think very differently about it anyway. Now, let's move on to our competition this week. We have three copies of The Improbable Life of Ricky Bird by Diane Connell to give away. Ricky Bird loves making up stories for her brother Ollie almost as much as she loves him. The imaginary worlds she creates are wild and whimsical places full of unlimited possibilities. Real life is another story. Ricky's father has abandoned them and the family has moved to a bleak new neighbourhood. Worse still, her mother's new boyfriend, Dan, has come with the furniture. But Ricky Bird is a force to be reckoned with. As the mastermind of so many outlandish adventures, her imagination is her best weapon. The trouble is that in the best stories, characters sometimes take a life of their own and no one, not even Ricky, is able to imagine the consequences. For your chance to win, just go to writerscentre.com.au slash win. Now, if you come to that URL sometime in the future, don't worry. There'll be some other fabulous competition for you to enter. That's writercentercomau slash win. And now, are you ready for the word of the week? Well, I hope you are because I'm ready to give it to you. The word of the week is funambulist. That's F-U-N-A-M-B-U-L-I-S-T. Funambulist. A funambulist is, do you know what it is? It's a tightrope walker. I love this word because it's spelled fun ambulist. And tightrope walking does sound fun and a little bit terrifying, but it's actually pronounced funambulist because it's from the Latin funus, which means rope. And of course, ambulist comes from the Latin ambulara, meaning to walk. And that was the word of the week. If you're enjoying this podcast, you may also like the book that Alison Tate and I have written together called So You Want to Be a Writer, How to Get Started While You Still Have a Day Job. Full of practical tips, motivation and inspiration, it's ideal for anyone who's thinking of dipping their toes into the wonderful world of writing. We've created a blueprint for aspiring writers to follow and it's suitable regardless of whether you want to plunge straight into this new career or if you need to explore it while you're still busy in your day job. Let us hold your hand as you turn your dream into a reality. Buy your copy today at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au forward slash book. Now we're going to move on to our writer in residence this week, but stay tuned after the interview for more fun facts about the world of writing. 
Today, I'm talking to Pamela Hart, who some listeners may know as Pamela Freeman. She has just published her 42nd book, An A-List for Death. This is with HarperCollins. So I know we have a lot to learn from Pamela as she's written across many genres, starting off in children's books, moving on to fantasy, and she's written nonfiction. Her historical fiction novels were wonderful. And more recently, she's moved into mysteries, specifically cosy mysteries, If you're not sure what a cosy mystery is, it's becoming a very popular genre. So stay with us to find out more. Thanks so much for joining us today, Pamela. Oh, it's always so much fun to talk to you, Val. I love talking to you and I love your books. And this is the latest one, An A-List for Death. If people haven't got their hands on a copy yet, can you tell us what it's about? This is the second of the Poppy McGowan mysteries. So the first was Diggy Up Dirt. Um, And in this book, uh, Poppy interacts with fame in a big way. Uh, She finds her auntie's best friend, Daisy, apparently having had a fall in the bathroom, but Auntie Mary sure that she was attacked. Um, And in doing so, she comes into contact with Daisy's son, Nathan Castle, who is a rock god. Um, She gets photographed with Nathan and there's a huge media storm about it, which leads eventually to a murder. Now, it's important to note that this is a standalone book. It may be the second in the Poppy McGowan series, but you can read it without having read the first one, correct? You can absolutely read it uh, without having read the first one. But if you're a fan of romance, I would say that the romantic elements in Digging Up Dirt carry over to an A-list for death. And so if you want the full romantic experience, you might want to start with that. But if you're just interested in um, a really good mystery, then mm. A-list for death is fine on its own. So what inspired this story? I guess just seeing um, seeing all the hoo-ha about, that happens on, online, you know, like um, a tiny little thing gets blown up into enormous proportions. Um, And the other thing is, you know, I used to work in television at ABC Kids and there's this huge gap between how people who don't have anything to do with the industry or or with the media in general think about things, about things in the media and how the people who work in it think about it. Um, And I guess that was kind of what I was trying to capture here. Now, Poppy McGowan, I love the Poppy McGowan world, right, because it is set in contemporary Sydney and it has elements, as you say, of the media. It has elements of archaeology. It has elements, uh, it's very much around the inner city of, of Sydney. And I don't think that there's been very much like it. You know, we've had um, series uh, uh, or cosy mysteries before, but they've been set in very different sorts of places. Now, I've just mentioned cosy mysteries, and I think that people, um, a lot of people haven't heard of the term, even though they've read the books. Yes, yes. Cosy mysteries are mysteries where um, it's not a professional detective and where the tone is not dark. Mm. Um, So uh, in order to write a really great um, cozy mystery you, you've got to have somebody who's not a professional as the sleuth they don't necessarily have to go out detecting uh, I mean Poppy doesn't go I will solve this mystery you know until she's forced to um, but um, they have to not be a police officer or a private detective um, and the feeling is um, 
you have to have justice in the end. Everything's going to be okay at the end. So um, there are some don'ts as well. You, you don't have graphic sex and you don't have graphic violence. Um, it's all about the characters. You've got to so, have emerging characters. Yeah. Let's, so we'll go through, I, I'd love to go through with you five elements that you've identified of a cosy mystery. But before we plunge into that, um, I, I do think that, you know, a lot of people haven't heard the term, but they've heard of the crime genre. You know, yes. everyone hears of crime and thriller, you know, mm -hmm. and within crime and thriller, there's psychological thrillers, there's political thrillers, there's Action military. Thriller. Yeah, there's yeah. a whole range yeah. of subgenres. It's absolutely fascinating. And I have to say, I absolutely have fully embraced cosies now because sometimes you don't want to have the violence. Sometimes you don't mm -hmm. want the world to be, you know, safe from certain destruction. Sometimes you don't want that in your face, you know, disaster yeah. or crime or or, or 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 just awful stuff happening. Yes. But you do want a mystery. You do want the unfolding. It's and you absolutely want to get away from the horrible stuff that's happening. Yes. So yes. And look, it's been really interesting. When digging up dirt came out, I got a lot of messages from people saying, I haven't been able to um read lately. And mm. I just grabbed this and I zipped through it and it was such a relief. Mm. And people talk about escapism as though that's a bad thing, but I actually think it's a real gift if somebody can give you a book that will take you away from your troubles. I think that's yes. a, an enormous gift to give someone. Um, and I'm certainly grateful for it when I, I read books like that. So the cosy, I mean, the classic cosy is Agatha Christie. Mm -hmm. um, and Really, these books just kind of bring that up to date, you know, um, and and with a much younger main character <laughs> and Miss Marple. Um, and what what Christie offers us and all the great cosy mystery writers offer us is a sense that the world will make sense if only you keep looking mm. um, and that you can bring evil to justice, which, you know, is is very comforting, I think. Mm. Um, but it also has the intellectual puzzle component, trying to figure out who the red herrings are, trying to figure out who the, how the murder really happened and why. Um, and I think that it appeals to people um, who like a little bit of thinking as well. Yes, I love it. I love that it's a mystery. I love that I'm trying to solve it. I I never know who done it until the end. In the same way with, you know, your historical fiction novels, I never know you know, what's going to happen until the end because it could always go this way. It could always go this way. So, one. Yeah, well, <clears> some, <throat> I don't know either. <laughs> so, what? No, when I'm writing it, I have no idea who the murderer is. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So then in the second draft, of course, I have to go back in and yes. put in a few more red herrings and, and you know, maybe plant a couple of clues. Um, but in the first draft, I have no idea. I just write right. and find out. As so you've... You've mentioned Agatha Christie. What are some other examples that people will have heard of of um, cosy writers? Well, the Franny Fisher books are probably yes. in Australia the ones that are best known. Mm. Um, but it, cosy's having a real resurgence. It is, right. Um, and people like Louisa Bennett and Kelly mm. McCourt are writing really. And, of course, Louisa Bennett is our own L.A. Larkin who teaches yes. for us. Um, and, yes, yeah, so so cosy's really kind of coming coming on strong at the moment it never really died away at all in america but the american cozy is a bit sweeter mm. you know it's a little bit more saccharine 
Um, but uh, the British cosy Agatha Raisin, for example, would be one people would know, maybe the Max Tudor books. Um, so they've always been around. It's never really gone away, but it's really coming back strongly now. Mm-mm. They're just absolutely delightful and such a good read. Let's move on to the five elements of a cosy mystery because there are specific things yes. to be aware of if you yeah. want to write in this genre. So what? Let, let's get started. What do we start with? If you want to write a cosy mystery, first of all, as I said before, you have to have an amateur detective. So not a police detective, uh, not a, um, a private eye. Uh, it's got to be somebody who gets caught up in these crimes by almost by accident. Mm. Um, they just happen to be around or it's somebody they know who gets killed. Um, the other, um, you can't have graphic sex or graphic violence, um, and I would put those two together. Mm. Uh, it's that tone, you know, the slightly lighter tone. Um, so you're not going to find serial killers that cut people up or anything like that. There's no forensics. You know, mm. we don't do DNA in a cosy mystery. I mean, the police might. The police are investigating it might. But yeah. um, but the, the actual main character doesn't have anything to do with forensics. Um, and then um, you need... To have it's all about character. Mm. Characters are what bring people back. You talked about Poppy's world. Mm. Um, it's not only the fact that it's contemporary Sydney; it's also the people in that world. So, um, in in a cozy mystery series, which they often are, um, we come back to the same people. Um, you know, the the kind of the family, the friends. They so there's a world that you create for that series, and the tone of that is welcoming, I guess, mm, you have to welcome mm. your reader in. Um, you can relate to all of these characters. You, absolutely. You, you know somebody or, or you, 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 you know, it's likely that you know somebody who's very similar to some of mm. these characters, even some of the peripheral characters, you go, oh, well, that's based on so-and-so. <laughs> well, it often is, of course, based on so-and-so. Um, I do base my characters on, on my friends. <laughs> and not my family. The families are different. But um, um, my uh, my hairdresser wants to be the next one. <laughs> so, oh, okay. That's great. <laughs> uh, no problems, Roger. He's a great character. I'm happy to put him in. Murder um, in the salon. <laughs> murder in the salon. Well, maybe that's four or five. But um, And the other thing, I mentioned the justice at the end, but the other thing I think really does set, um, <clears throat> set Cozy Mysteries apart is the victim. Um, so often in like forensic serial killer kind of stories, the victim's almost irrelevant. You know, somebody goes out and looks for a dark-haired girl who's, you know, 25, right, and and who they kill is is just a plot function, mm. which is really kind of cold, I think, and it's so often women, so often women being, um, being like violently assaulted. Mm. Um, and... Um, Whereas in the cosy, the, the victim is, in a sense, the core of the crime. Knowing who the victim is and, and having a victim who has a quite a complex life because then you have lots of suspects. Mm. So you can't have a victim with a simple life. Um, it's got to be somebody who has layers that can be uncovered and secrets that can be discovered. And, you know, so um, I think the victim, getting the victim right, is uh, quite an important part of the cosy. Mm. And I suppose it's kind of handy when they, if they're not, if they are amateur sleuths, there's already an inherent conflict with the police 
because, well, you know. I'm not a big fan of that whole I won't tell the police things because they're the professionals, <laughs> you know. They're the, I, when, when somebody in a cosy mystery, this is the thing that really annoys me about some of the American ones, somebody in a cosy mystery gets the, the clue, the clue, right, and goes, oh, I won't tell the police this, or they might misinterpret it. I'll just go and, you know, and it's like, and of course that ends up with them almost being killed, right, which is the point of it. But but it's it's kind of lazy. Well, I meant that, that there's so I yeah I I take your point and I agree with that. Um, but also, but the police will find you a little bit a annoying. Little annoying, yes, they you do. Know. Find people, yes, yeah. <laughs> and I think they find Poppy annoying in the way they find journalists annoying generally. Mm, that's mm, often mm. the kind of direction she's coming from. Yes. Um, having All right. So we have, you know, number one, they can't be a professional detective. There's something, um, uh, there's a, there's an amateur um, inquisitory element of, about them. Yeah, you've got to be nosy. Your main yes. character's got to be nosy. Yeah. So did you pick Poppy's profession? So Poppy is an ABC, you know, uh, producer. She works ABC it? Kids yeah. as a scriptwriter and researcher, yeah. Like someone I know. Well, look, I have to say <laughs> I didn't. I did not pick her profession in order to make the mystery better. I... I just wanted to have fun with digging up dirt and I used mm-hmm. to do that jump. So I didn't do any, had to do any research, but it does give you connections. And of course I, in that job, I interviewed mm. so many people. Um, and so you, people talk to her, you know, she knows how to get things out of people. And I think that is a key element for your amateur sleuth that people talk to them. Mm. Um, partly because they're not the police. So they'll say things to, to your amateur girl that they would never say to a police officer, um, and that helps. You know. That yes. Helps. Okay. So there's there's that amateur sleuth. There's the no graphic violence, and I totally get that because it's goes against the whole vibe of a cozy mystery. No graphic sex. So yeah. why is that? Because they do have sex. They in do have the- sex in, in these books. <laughs> yes, they do. Um, uh, it's again, it's the tone. Um, Look, honestly, the main reason, I part, there's two reasons. Okay, one is the American market doesn't like it. Um, you know, the people who read Cozy Mysteries don't want to see sex on the page. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other reason is it's in these books, it's, it's not usually a story element. Mm, yes. So right. I feel like sex is, should be on the page when it's relevant to the story and it shouldn't be on the page when it's not relevant to the story, just like any other scene. Mm. Um, and and it's very rare that the sex in a cozy mystery would be an element yes. of the story. You know, so, so it literally would be gratuitous. It would literally would be, yeah, mm. exactly, mm. yeah. So okay. you want to see the relationships develop, but you know, a scene with body parts happening, um, it, it doesn't actually advance the story necessarily. So that's, I think, the main reason it's not there in the Australian and English ones. Mm. Um, but it's also about tone. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so the other thing you said, it really needs to be character driven. So have, you know, engaging characters, believable. not just your main character. Mm-hmm. So when you first, so Poppy and, um, you know, her, and another main character, Toll, um, they were in the first book. Mm-hmm. When you were creating Poppy's world and, the characters in it 
How did you go about doing that? How did you kind of think I need this kind of character? I, I, I need them to make, make, I need to make them likable in this way um, or engaging to readers anyway? Not so much in this way, but what I was thinking about were the things that I, I was bored with. So I read so many mystery stories where it's an alcoholic ex-cop or some, you know, who's lost everything and he's struggling with his relationship with his children, you know, that or, or the alcoholic, alcoholic cop who is struggling with her relationship with her children and she has nobody and she has no friends and, you know, and, and it's like I, don't, I want the opposite of that, all right? I want somebody who's got a really strong, solid family who's well behind her, even if they don't quite understand her, you know, and... Um, and, and nice, lots of friends. You know, she has a lot of friends, not all of whom we've met yet, um, because that's what people are like, you know. And, um, <laughs> and it's, part, it's partly that tone. It's partly that idea of, of a welcoming, engaging tone that people can relax into. You know, when you've got, when you've got the, the ex-alcoholic, well, the, the, the sober alcoholic cop who is struggling, you're always waiting for, for that to go bad. And so there's a tension in, inherent in his character, whereas I didn't want that. I wanted all the focus to be on the mystery. So it was more about surrounding her with, um, surrounding her with warmth, I guess, mm. and a sense of stability that she's operating out of, out of a sense of knowing who she is and where she belongs. And that's challenged, you know, when, when she meets Toll and so on. But... Um, but to start with, I, I didn't want her to be this kind of tortured loner. Yes. And then all my friends said, can I be in it? And I went, sure. You know, so her friends are my friends. <laughs> so I, I get what you're saying about the tortured loner because, as you say, there is an inherent tension there when they've got so many of their own personal problems. And therefore, you do have to focus on the mystery. So I am absolutely fascinated when people write <clears throat> mysteries and, as you have just said, you don't know who done it until the end. I mean, really? I yeah. mean, <laughs> but it's so, he, he, it's, there's a level of complexity in a mystery that has to make sense. Otherwise, the reader is going to go, oh, that's ridiculous, you know, as if that's going to happen or that's just too convenient a resolution. So how, I don't even know how a mind, your mind would work in order to be able well, you to have to make have, that happen without planning. Okay, I guess the thing is you have to make it so that everybody you suspect really could have been the murderer. Yes. And then you pick one. Okay, you make it sound so simple, Pamela. <laughs> it's actually, and then you go back. It's the second draft that makes the mystery. That's the key, isn't it? Mm. I mean, I did, the key. I did three structural edits on an A-list today. Mm. Because if you did leave it at, at your first go, uh, well, apart from the fact that you shouldn't, I mean, it would be a convenient ending. It would be an easy resolution. It would be sloppy, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and also you wouldn't have... Um, you wouldn't have created options like you, you, you've got to you've got to have just enough clue and not too much to make it obvious. Yes, uh, but you also have to have that for everybody, for all of the suspects uh, in the first half of the book, and then the second half, particularly after the end of the second act, after turning point two, 
then you're shedding suspects. You're peeling them away mm. um, uh, until you get to the core and you find out who the murderer actually is. So, in fact, when you go back and rewrite it or redraft it, you are not only putting in the clues, obviously, of the actual mur- whodunit person, but for everyone else. So you're, yes. you're, you're doing a lot of inserting of clues and red herrings all the yeah, way. Absolutely. Well, in the first half especially. And with Digging Up Dirt, um, I actually put an entirely new character into the second draft uh, because I didn't think there were enough red herrings. Oh, uh, right. Uh, Enough potential suspects. That's right. Yeah. Um, and, well, in An Alias for Death, I put another character into the into the final structural, you know, the final copy edit draft. Um, my my editors kind of said, yeah, okay, I think the mystery's working now, but it's not as funny as the last one. Can you make it funnier? That was my total editorial back, you know, <laughs> in the final draft. And, um, and I hadn't, I mean... A lot of the reviews talk about digging up dirt being funny, but I hadn't set out to make it funny, you know. I hadn't done it deliberately. Right. And it was just how Poppy sees the world, you know. Um, And this book was a little bit kind of darker because it was about an old lady getting hurt. Um, And so in the original she was in a coma for half of the book and that ended up being too dark and so I have her now wake up quite soon. Um, but still, you know, the, the kind of basic thing that it's about is, mm. is really nasty. And so, um, so I had to lift it a lot higher uh, with other things than I did with digging up dirt. Um, and I, I didn't know how I made it funny in the first place, so trying to make the second <laughs> one funny was, was quite a trick. And so I, I put in a new character that lifted it a bit, uh, which is Charlie. Yeah. Oh, yes. He's a great character. Oh my god, I love it. Um. So, you've ha- you write across so many genres. Oh my god, children's picture books, um, his nonfiction, nonfiction picture books, <laughs> historical fiction. Because your last um lot of novels before digging up dirt were historical fiction, fantastic books, The Desert Nurse, um, The Soldier's Charles Wife, and so Scandal. on. Yeah, yeah. Charles Um and then you move into cozy mysteries. Mm-hmm. So what are your comments for people who think, oh no, I need to pick a lane? I need to I would say pick a lane. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it, look, I have had a wonderful career. This is my 42nd book. Oh, my God. Um, and I've had a wonderful career writing pretty much whatever I liked, and I've been very fortunate to have it published. But if you want to make a living as a writer, uh, if you want to, to actually full, write full-time uh, and make a decent living at it, you've got to pick a lane. That's how people make a living. So it depends what you want. You know, if you want to be like a really successful full-time writer, pick a lane, stay in it. If you just want to have fun, write what you love, you know. And I, I love all of the genres that I write in. Um, but, uh, but you obviously make a living from it because you're on your 42nd book. <laughs> no, no, I don't. No. You are a full-time writer. I'm a teacher as well. Well, yes, too. I guess most writers do have. Um, you have another job. Most do of us other have things. another job. That's right. So that's what I'm saying. If you want to have only one job and that job be right, right, right. then you've got to pick a lane. 
Um, but so you mean focus on a genre? Focus on a genre. So, and it's certainly for the first, you know, few books, which is what I did, Val. I mean, I mm. I published what eighteen children's books before I wrote my first adult one, mm. and so I did pick a lane in that sense. Um, and children's is children and YA is great because you can write any genre you like. Mm. Uh, and as long as the librarians recognise your name, you'll do okay, you know. So um, it's much freer than writing for adults in terms of genre. But, yes, yeah, so I picked that lane for a long time um, and lo- and I'm still in it, you know. I, I still, as Pamela Freeman, um, I'm still writing for children and loving it. Um, so um, I did that and then I, I wanted to write for adults and so I've been bopping around genres for adults for a while. Um, so pick a lane initially to get yourself established and yeah. then go and explore I think so. you know, and where your heart takes you kind of thing. Um, and, and unless you're self-publishing, in which case um, you can run two lanes. I know a lot of people mm. that run two lanes uh, under different names. Mm. But that is an enormous amount of work. Like Yes, because you have to... You have, you to, have do to do all cultivate. the marketing, you have to do all, you know, and also self-publishing generally means you have to write books more quickly. Yes. So I, I'm doing, you know, a, one poppy book a year kind of thing, whereas um, if I were self-publishing mysteries, I'd have to do at least two. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there is there is a huge amount of work involved with self-publishing, but um, it does allow you to control which lane you're in more. Yes, yes. So this is with HarperCollins, um, as was steaming up dirt. Um, so what's next? Is have you you've decided your you know you want to stick with cozies? What's, I could what's stick, happening now? I could stick with Poppy for a long time. Yeah, she's. I so, love. I love her. I love her world. Yeah. I love what she does. So I already have a couple of of stories in mind. The third one will be an ancient grave. Um, which is set on an archaeological dig, um, and uh, and so I'm I'm going to the dig in February. You are, up, yeah, yeah. It's been oh put my god, two years already, which is really you know, it's going to make the book a bit late, but um, yes. Yeah, so I'll be going there in uh, late January, early February. Wow. Um, to get all the kind of sights and smells and feels and all that sort of stuff. Yes. Yeah. You know, I. I now, Poppy, as I said, I, I really like Poppy. I really like Poppy's world. I really think that, you know, there's there's absolutely a series where you're going to get a loyal readership. I want to read the next Poppy book. What came into my head, though, was when you think when you think about Poppy, like as dot points on paper, you know, she's a woman in Sydney. Sure, she works in the media. Um, and I didn't... I was trying to w- work out why I do love her and want to be in her world so much because when you just hear what I just described, she just sounds, okay, kind of interesting, but there's something about her character and the people around her that make me want to get to know her and I haven't been able to figure out what well, it is. Maybe I, you can tell me. <laughs> well, obviously she's a lovely person. Um, sure. Look, I think it's partly that it's our world. So, so often when we, we read mysteries, it's somebody else's world, whether that's the dry or, you know, Mystery Road or whatever, and and it's like it's out there and it's oh. 
it's it's not us, right? Whereas Poppy's us, you know, it's our world. It's Sydney, it's urban. Um, she has gay friends. She has, you know, a, a, a wide variety of, of ethnicities. And you, do you know what I mean? It's like mm. this is the Sydney of us. Mm. And that was what I was trying to do with it. Um, and we don't see that. We don't see the Australian urban story very often unless it's like Northern Beaches for Leanne Moriarty, you know, but the <laughs> urban, the urban setting, mm. you know, um, you don't get very often. Um, yes. The last time we had it was with Peter Corris's stories, but they were private eye stories. Mm. Um, so I think it's partly the recognition thing. It's like, oh, I could be in there. I could be yes. in the world. I could walk straight into that story. Yes, yes. And what I also love is you've just said that she, in her world, there are a variety of ethnicities because that's quite simply real life. And I love that you have included a variety of ethnicities without saying, oh, and they eat rice or they have a falafel. You know, it's just because, you know, it's you just talk about it like normal. This is my life. That's what my exactly. life is It's like. normal people's you know, lives. Normal people's lives. <laughs> um, yeah, that's right. Exactly. Normal people's lives. And, and I think this is where um, I just don't think we see that very often. No. You know? I think it's um, great because it makes it more believable. That's it's, it's all about the yeah. characters. In the mm. end, it's all about the characters feeling like, oh yeah, I know someone like that. Yes. Is yes. what it's all about. All right. So the next book, Poppy is going on a dig yep. <laughs> or or an ancient in Jordan. <laughs> okay. In ancient, um, she's gonna explore an ancient civilization. Uh, that's what you're writing at the moment, or you're yes. researching. Um, I'm, I've started writing, um, uh, some of, some of your listeners won't know that my husband is an archaeologist. Um, so I have my research on tap, Mm. um, but I am doing a lot of, it's said in a particular dig, a real dig, um, which I'm going to rename obviously. Um, and I have, you know, the permission of the dig runners to do that. Um, and, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm at the stage where I'm about to put up the maps of the dig on the wall and so that I can figure out how long it would take her to walk from point A to point B and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also developing the characters. So you're, you're mm-hmm. in the middle of writing and researching that. What Have you already planned out further books in a series? Yes. Oh, well, wow. I have planned out what happens. Um, there's a... The, the problem with cosy mysteries, as anybody who's ever watched Murder, She Wrote will know, is that after a while it becomes ridiculous that this person keeps stumbling over dead bodies, <laughs> right? And I've always wanted to write a scene where a friend of Jessica Fletcher's in Murder, She Wrote, that the, the daughter is getting married and the mother wants to invite Jessica and the girl's going, no, no, you can't have that woman here. Everywhere she goes, someone dies, you know. Um, <clears throat> so so I do have in mind in a couple of books that Poppy will take a turn uh, in, in what she's doing at work, which will make it less ridiculous. <laughs> Okay, well, um, very, very keen already to read uh, read the next book. So hurry up, Pamela, write it. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> All right. So you've mentioned that the other thing that you do is teach, and, of course, you're the Director of Creative Writing at the Australian Writers' Centre. And 
What's it like when you see your own students get published? Oh, you know, students so who you know, you've been so working good. with and, yeah, tell yeah. me. Well, I, this week I got an ARC, an advanced reading copy of ARC Unforged. I know that sounds weird, but the, the title of the book is ARC Unforged uh, and I got an advanced reading copy of it. Uh, Seth Haddon is the writer and he was one of my students in Write Your Novel and I knew I knew he was very talented and, you know, gave him a lot of encouragement. And getting that back from his publicist to say, please, can you give us a blurb, you know, um, just fantastic. It's so exciting, particularly when you like the person involved, obviously it's even better. But um, just this last month there's been a whole run of people getting like three book contracts. And, well, one of of our students, uh, again, from Write Your Novel, got two contracts, one for two and one for one from two different publishers. Um, You know, and it's so satisfying. Um, particularly when um, when they come back and say, mm. you know, whether it's thanks or can you help, <laughs> which, you know, I don't close the doors on my people, as you know, Val, and, mm. um, and so people often come back to me and go, oh, I'm going to write a query letter, what do I have to say, or, you know, and then they come back and go, I got it, I got an agent, I got an agent, and it's great to be part of that process. Yes. And, you know, it really does happen I I think Mm. if you do want to be a writer it's absolutely achievable I mean we've seen it over Mm. and over and over again over and over um and but it is so exciting and satisfying it's wonderful yeah wow all right so let's finish up with your top three tips not for writing generally but uh for writing a cozy Okay, first of all, you've got to really like your main character Mm. because if you don't like them, the reader won't like them. Um, So this is one genre where you can be a little bit self-indulgent with your main character. You know, you can put a bit more of yourself in them maybe uh, or pick someone you really like as the basis for them, but definitely you have to like the, the character. The victim has to be complex so that you get uh, enough suspects I mean Mm. it seems really obvious when you say it but um, often that's where people fall over they've they've only got one or two suspects and it's not enough to sustain a whole book so you've got to work on your victim Um, and then thirdly the tone you know remember that what you're offering your readers is an escape you know, is so is it's entertainment. Mm. You're not there to make them think deeply about the world, although you can do that as well. But that's not your main aim. Your main aim is to keep them entertained, um, and that's a great thing to offer someone if you can do that. So mm. that would be my first top three tips. Love it. All right, everyone, get your copy of An A-List for Death. It's such a great read. Um, And congratulations and thank you so much for your time today, Pamela. Thanks so much, Val. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you're serious about completing your own novel manuscript, immerse yourself in our inspiring and motivational program, Write Your Novel. Filled with workshopping and practical lessons, you'll receive advice on structure, dialogue and much more as well as tips on publishing. 
The online program fits around your schedule and you'll get extensive personal feedback from your tutor and classmates throughout the course. Al Campbell's novel The Keepers was picked up by a publisher shortly after she finished her course at the Australian Writers' Centre. Here's what she says. I decided to do a course because it's affordable, it was flexible, I could do it at home. The best thing for me was that I actually had a chance to show my work to other people, not to mention the input from the tutors, all of whom come from the industry. At the end of the Write Your Novel course, my tutor in fact took me by surprise by suggesting I think her words pretty much were, it's time to get your work out there. When I found out that my novel was going to be published, it was fantastic, it was, it was a high, it was amazing. I would definitely recommend the Australian Writers' Centre because if you actually look at the stats, they're really kicking massive goals. Their publication rates are, are really startlingly high. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash novelwriting. That's writerscentre.com.au slash novelwriting. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Pamela Hart. Now, as promised, this week's fun fact is, did you know that the opening line, it was a dark and stormy night, really comes from a real book? Edward Bulwer-Lytton started his novel, Poor Clifford, with the now infamous line. The beginning in full goes like this, it was a dark and stormy night, the rain fell in torrents, except at occasional intervals, when it was checked by a violent gust of wind which swept up the streets, for it is in London that our scene lies, rattling along the housetops and fiercely agitating the scanty flame of the lamps that struggled against the darkness. Phew! Wow. Okay, so there's even a contest named after Edward Bulwer-Lytton, and it invites writers to compose the opening sentence to the worst of all possible novels. And if that wasn't enough, Edward also coined a few other well-known phrases, such as the great unwashed, pursuit of the almighty dollar, and the pen is mightier than the sword. There you go. You can impress your friends at Pub Trivia. So thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I really appreciate it. You can connect with me on social media at Valerie Koo. That's K-H-O-O on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com, which is probably a little bit more about my artistic pursuits. But also, I'm always in the listener community on Facebook. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. Love to have you in there. It's free to join and there are so many different aspiring and established writers from all walks of life. But for now, thanks for listening and I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.